Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Episode 33 of the Howie Games. Welcome along. Hope you've had a few wins this week and had a good time of it and that you love this episode as much as I do. It's one of my favourites. I sent off an email a few months ago to this week's guest and when he replied to say yes, that he was happy to be involved, tell you what, I was literally jumping around my lounge room. This is a man who I have tremendous admiration for. He is truly elite at what he does. His name is Bruce McAvaney. Now, Bruce, a Channel 7 sports commentator, is the premier sports broadcaster in Australia for mine. His resume is truly, truly phenomenal. Check this list out. 10... 10 Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, Melbourne Cups, AFL Grand Finals, Australian Open Tennis Finals, Australian Open Golf, World Athletics and Swimming Championships, the Bledisloe Cup, the Rugby World Cup. The list just goes on and on and on. And every time he's on the microphone, Bruce calls with class, he calls with precision and calls with absolute passion. Bruce comes to us courtesy of the Seven Network and Seven Sport, and here's just a snapshot of some of the great man's work. Again, thanks to the kind folk at Seven Sport. Check it out. Jenna can go all the way. <laughs> now he's going to stretch Brown. Bounce him. Run to the goal bouncing. Usain Bolt wouldn't get him now, and Jenna puts on another one. That is just so exciting. Franklin with a hurdle, and then the long one. This will be something. It is. It's an MCG special from Buddy. No one does it as well as Bruce. Back in the early 2000s, I was fortunate enough to be working for Seven Sport and still can recall the first time, the first time I met Bruce McAvaney. It was in South Melbourne in the old Channel 7. We were down in the tape library. The old one inches were spinning around and in wonders Bruce McAvaney and says day. And I can pretty much recall being absolutely speechless. This was Bruce McAvaney saying hello. I was then in awe of the man and I pretty much still am. Then to go with Seven Sport to the Athens Olympics and watch Bruce in action, he was hosting and he was calling and reporting. For me, it was um, oh, it was like watching a phenomenon at work. In my line of work, as a young man, you see that, you aspire to be that, you try and learn from that, but you know deep down you can never, ever, ever be as good as that. There can only be one Bruce McAvaney, and to quote him, he's special. They could help out if they try, try, try. If they would try, try, try. They've got to try, try, try. This episode covers how Bruce went from being a public servant of all things to one of the most recognisable faces on our TV screens. The pressure he feels to perform at such an elite level, his favourite sporting moments, the punt, and lots, lots more. Alrighty, here's Bruce McAvaney, OAM. So when you search and then you find. Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Well, apart from the Howie Games being great Because people get to listen I get to chat to people that I really look up for to and there's no more than you Bruce McAvaney so I appreciate your time Macca to sit down um we've just been having a bit of a chat about what podcasts are all about I'm just trying to drag you into the 21st century you're doing a good job Howie I'm, I always get nervous when people say they respect me Howie it's a it's a hard thing to live up to at times isn't it but um yeah no um I do enjoy podcasts I don't I've only like everybody else got a, a little sample of them but um you can 
narrow your vision with them, can't you? So, um, yeah, well, what have you got for me today? Well, and that's the great thing about it. Everyone always says, oh, where's your questions written down? And it doesn't really roll like that. It's more just a conversation, like two fellows meeting in a pub or in the beautiful pub that you stay at here over a coffee and a cup of tea. Um, you just said you felt expectation just then. That's the first thing in my mind. As someone that has such a, an enormously wonderful reputation, do you still feel expectation? You'll be going on to call the footy this afternoon. Do you still feel expectation to deliver at the same level you have for so many years? I do. And it's, so, it's so, sort of the thing I've had to wrestle with a bit. Right. Not because I think I'm um, the perfect broadcaster at all. In fact, it's one of the challenges I've always sort of put in front of myself is that I want to get better. But um, I'd hate to let myself down. And I, and I do feel, um, as I've got older, um, more pressure to maintain standards. So it's probably got harder in a way, Howie. It's just as enjoyable. But um, it's one of those things, if people expect a lot from you, then you try and deliver. But, yeah, absolutely. And it's not easy to do sometimes. So, yeah, no, I, I feel that a bit. And when you say you always want to improve... Is there something when you go back and hear yourself on all the sports you do or all the broadcasts you do, is there a general theme that you actually think, I wish I could improve that about what I do? Brevity, I think, for me. Right. Yeah, I think it's brevity. Concise. I think that's when you're at your best. Uh, less rather than more. Mm. There are moments that... Um, big moments that you always try to capture. Mm -hmm. you know, there's no perfect world. But I've found over the years that my best work is when I'm probably at my most disciplined and um, one less sentence rather than one more. So do you, see, do, you, do you reflect now, like you're off to the footy today, do you still get into the box, I'm off to the same game? And I sit there sometimes and I look around and I think, right, I've got Wayne Carey sitting there and I've got Paul Roos sitting there and I've got some other guys sitting there and they're actually paying me to do this. <laughs> do you still get those moments? I get those moments frequently. Um, not, not quite like that, but I... I, I I certainly know what you mean. I mean, I'm working with Lee Matthews today, yeah. you know, who yeah. I have incredible respect for. Jimmy Bartell, who I haven't worked with before in this way, so I'm excited about that because yeah. I want to see what he's got. Um, mm. I want to see if he's a good caller. Yeah. Now, they <laughs> tell me he is. But <laughs> if I'm, he was listening to this now, he'd be edgy if he got all well, crikey. Well, I, I want to hear it for myself. <laughs> so that's what turns me on a bit. And then, um, yeah, no, but not quite, as you say... It's, it's funny, once I put the headphones on, I feel um, I feel a bit different to when I haven't got them on. I feel more confident when I've got them on. Do you? I feel the least anxious and nervous once it starts. Um, the hardest bit's just the pre-bit and the build-up. So, yeah, no, I'm... But I am excited, like you. I mean, we're going to the same game... We know that we're seeing the top team in the competition at the, this stage. We're yep. seeing a team that's struggling, need a win. It's always a challenge for both the clubs, so I can't wait to get there. But, yeah, no, every game is different. And for me today, one of the joys for me is working with a bloke that I've never worked with before, and I'm looking forward to it. Preparation has always been, and we'll go back to the start in a moment, but we've just sort of come to this juncture already. Preparation, from what I've seen working with you, has always been what you've been amazing at and that's what you're known at which I'm sure again adds to the pressure a game of Sunday afternoon football today we're approaching finals what type of preparation goes into today's match for you to call it? 
bit less than a Friday night because it's always the second match. Yeah. And I spend Saturdays generally absorbed in horse racing and, and footy, so I tend to not prepare on a Saturday for a Sunday game. So I, I did a bit Thursday night. I did a little bit Friday. I've done a fair bit this morning. What does that mean, a little bit? What, what are you doing? Um... What I'm doing is trying to get to know the season of the players as well as possible, how many games they might have missed, where they've played well, what they haven't done, what role they might play. It's just really absorbing yourself in the, in the players. Um, it's strange because if you don't see a team for a... When I say if you don't see, we, we see a lot of football, but if you mm. don't work a match, Absolutely. it's very different, and you know that. Working a match is so different. So it's just getting familiar again. Now, I called Adelaide last Friday night, so I'm, you know, I'm up to speed with a lot of that. Collingwood I haven't called for a few weeks so just just going through all the players and going through their stats for the year historically what it might mean um, you know just little bits and pieces that give me a um, give me the core that I need then to be expansive mm-hmm. one of the biggest things I found how he was when, when we didn't do football for five years when um, uh, nine and ten did it when I came back into doing it it was just filling in the gaps I found the hardest because even though I'd followed the game for five years, I hadn't worked it. And it's it's not Howard to Mar to Barham <laughs> that worries you. It's when the stoppage happens and filling in the gaps. And what the prep does is it helps you fill in the gaps. It helps you colour it in rather than just sketching it. So that, that, they're the things I do. The more you know about anything the more interesting it becomes and you know that's been a sort of a I guess a philosophy that we've uh, you learn pretty early on in your career and so that that's just what it's about but and the other thing I've always felt Mark is that you know there's two sorts of nerves there are the normal nerves that you and I probably got today yeah hopefully Yep. Then there's the nerves when you're ill-prepared mm-hmm. and that's a horrible feeling it's a different feeling yeah, isn't it yeah it's, 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 it's frightening yeah. And um, I just don't want to go to a game feeling like that. Um, I have a recurring dream, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is, um, you know, you, 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 I don't know about you, but I think all of us have probably got these things that, and one of them is, you know, getting a few kicks in a big game of footy, but the other one is getting into the broadcast box, whether it be a horse race or an athletic meeting or a football match and being ill-prepared, and it's a frightening that's the so night what, what that's ha- a nightmare what happens in the dream um generally generally um you know you flum your way through but a lot of it is getting up into the box and not knowing the colors of the horse which is which is a frightening experience so how much of this there's a lot of uh as you're explaining a lot of sort of nervous energy and does that does that performance anxiety, for want of a better term, Mac, does that take away from the enjoyment of the job or the relaxation you can have? You know, it's, it's Sunday morning now. Most people are reading the paper and enjoying reading the paper. You're reading the paper for a whole different reason and your mind is already on something that's going to happen mm. in seven hours' time. It does take away the, from the enjoyment. No yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, no. It, um, one of the troubles of doing a job you love is that you never get away from it. It's a tricky one because, I, you know, we've got this... You talked a moment ago about you walk into the box and you look around and I'm getting paid to do this. But in the end, um, the advantages of all of that are a disadvantage as well because you don't get away. So when you read that newspaper, 
it's not just for the joy. No. And then there might be, um, you know, look at the Australian on a Saturday, uh, the seven different bits and pieces. So I won't go to the Inquirer because I haven't got time. I'll go to the Review because I love movies, but I won't read about music because I haven't got the time um, because I need to be cutting out something in the sports section or making a note. So it's work, it's work, it's work, and it's a little bit of pleasure. So it, it... it sounds like I'm negative and I'm not. I'm completely the opposite. But it does have um, its, uh, its um, disadvantages as, as well as all the advantages that you have. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just the thing you have to wrestle with with doing a job you love so much. Are you still a, you just mentioned cut. Are you still a cut and paste man? Yeah, I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm still ledgers and books and writing it down and... Yeah, I could look, and I could probably change. I'd need to go and do a course, and probably have a month off and get myself. But I like it that way. It's what I like. Um, and yeah, no, I. Um, so what's a, what's in a ledger, Maka? Oh, just notes and results, and look, I have about you know seven or eight books I carry with me all the time, and one will be. All sports want to be athletic results, want to be racing results, want to be football. Um, so, and then a couple of other bits and pieces. So, yeah, that's the way I operate. So, and you sort of throw them out at the end of the year. I mean, part of yesterday morning, relaxing was setting up all the Group 1 races for next year, just writing them into a ledger, 72 of them, getting them ready, and knowing that. I'm looking forward to seeing how it all unfolds. So, is that an enjoyable process or is it a painstaking process? It's enjoyable. Is it? That bit's enjoyable. Right. Yeah. That's bit. No, I like <laughs> it. And you know, you know, and the thing you know, I love because it, you, know, you see where the prize money increases have been, and just the nuances and the change in emphasis gives you a real texture. And that's 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 part of the thing I've always loved about sport is change. Nothing stays forever. It moves, and it's nice to know where it's moving in a structural sense, not just in a performance sense. How will you feel when it moves past you, when you're no longer the man in the commentary box? It'll be interesting. Uh, Dennis said to me um, earlier this year, I haven't retired my ego. Right. Yeah, and, and he said that in, a, you know, in his normal yeah. way, and it's true. Um, it's a good point, isn't it's, it? It's a challenge, isn't it, for all of us? Because it, in some ways it has moved past me, to be honest, but... Um, I'm still who I am and I do it the way I'll always do it um, but you do pass you know you don't pass the baton on but it passes you um, and it'll, it'll be interesting um, it'll be a challenge for me uh, because as much as I know that I'm normal I know that I'm not you know it's a funny thing because you know that um, I can live without adulation and live without having a pat on the back but every now and then um, you're so used to it that um, and you're also used to the criticism too it's not just good it can be uh, it can be it can be um, somebody not liking your work but it's notoriety just the same so it's going to be a challenge for me I'm 64 years of age um, probably in the last decade of my broadcasting career uh, that would be a reasonable assumption. Uh, how do I handle it when I come out the other side? Do you cold turkey it, or do you do you do it gradually? And that's the challenge. I think a bit of me always felt 
I'd cold turkey because I didn't want to be uh, not fully committed. Yeah. And now there's bits of me as I've got closer to that moment is th- that are thinking, no, I'm probably better off to just maybe, as I've done, I've dropped the tennis. Um, maybe you just do it by degrees and, you know, do it over a period. So I'm not sure how that will unfold in the next few years for me, but it's, it's a bit of a challenge. You talk about the tennis, so that was the first Australian Open I would imagine that seven's done it, that you haven't been involved. What was it like watching on the couch? Tricky. Yeah, I Tricky. bet it was. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> a, it was a funny feeling um, because um, I did it for all the reasons. I, I was exhausted, Mark. I was absolutely exhausted. I, I, um, I'd come to the end of a year and I, I, I realised that something had to be sacrificed. And, um, you know, uh, I spoke to Saul Stein and Lewis Martin, the two key people that I work with uh, in an executive sense at, at Seven and Cole Southie. And um, it was, um, it was a, a collective decision. How do I keep going for a few years and not burn myself out? I'd really got to a point. But boy, watching it was tricky because um, it, I felt, um, I tell you what I missed. I, I missed, um, I didn't miss my voice not being heard. I missed not talking to Josh in the mornings, who's a, you know, the uh, researcher about what had happened and what might happen. I missed not seeing Jim and being in that box with him. And I missed that uh, excitement of Nadal and Federer walking down the, mm. uh, walking down the aisle on their way to a beautiful wedding, yeah. um, <laughs> as it turned out. But... <laughs> I didn't miss me not saying something, but I miss that camaraderie, that feeling of being part of a team. And I, I, I kept thinking, gee, that won't the boys and girls be excited now that Federer got through to the semi-finals? It was and the perfect Australian. Yeah, it was. It was a perfect storm. It was incredible, and I, I did have a few laughs. Um, you know, I've got to be honest, on the night of the final, I went out and cooked a barbecue before it started because outside, because I couldn't bear it uh, for about 10 minutes and then I settled down and um, it was tricky. What and couldn't you bear about it? That I wasn't there. Yeah, right. And it's funny because I remember watching that whole Australian Open and thinking that it's, it's unusual that you're not there. And it's funny, if I'm doing a big bash game and then I'm sitting at home on the couch the next night, I hate to say it, I'm almost hoping it's not a great game. Because you want to be at the great There's game. There's a selfishness. Yeah, that we it, can't is. Help. it is selfish. And, and so part of me was, um, I mean, I, I've got to say, I was thrilled and delighted the final and also Serena and the two Williams sisters. But there was a little part of me that wouldn't have minded um, G. Muller playing <laughs> David Goffin. That's right. I can understand it completely. I can understand it completely. I'm glad now that it didn't happen. But no, I understand what you're saying. So it's the way it is. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's just... When you have ownership yeah. in your own way, not, everything's fleeting in our job. I mean, it's like a great sports person. Nothing lasts forever. All things must pass, as George Harrison said. Um, I don't think he said it, but it was on one of his albums. Um, it... You do have to get used to the fact that you're not going to be front and centre, and it's not easy. But I think the first one's always the hardest, so next summer, the one coming up, yeah. I'll probably be a bit more relaxed. But it was, it, was, it was tricky, and it wasn't as easy as I made it out to be. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't. So we've already got reason me in depth here, Mac, and that's what I said to you I love about podcasts is you just chat. There's no advertisements and there's no 
person talking in your ear, which you've spent your whole life doing. Where did it all start for you? You grew up as a young bloke in Adelaide? Yeah, no, in South, yeah, for sure, in South Australia. It started for me, well, I guess it started for me when I was very young because I was brought up in a house uh, where my parents were sport crazy in a way, of big fans, both keen sports people themselves. Not Mum was a very good netballer, Dad was a battling footballer, cricketer, <laughs> but um, there's a league goal umpire for a while, actually. Um, um, wearing glasses, not a good look. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, he um, he was an investigations officer for the taxation department, so nothing but nothing much was going to worry him coming over the no, over the pickets. Where they you could always go and he, check he, out the tax And also, he, he got a bit of rubbishing through his life, so he was okay. But um, so, okay, as a young guy, a really young boy, um, I was um, enamoured by Bill Collins, uh, the famous race caller here in Melbourne, and. Yeah, I wrote to him when I was about 11, and uh, yeah, I always had the dream that I wanted to call the Melbourne Cup. So it sort of was the dream. Now, a lot of kids have it. Um, Did he write back? Uh, yeah, just get a good education. Right. Yeah, which, you know, why not? And uh, that's what I would say too to anyone, uh, and, and, and don't, don't give up the dream. But um, you sort of, uh, so that's, that was the dream, Howie. And then things happen. You get a lucky break. I got a few. And, um, you know, I, I went from being a clerk in the um, uh, Commonwealth Government at about 22 years of age to working as a race caller on a radio station in South Australia. So that's really how it happened. Well, tell me about being a Commonwealth clerk. Oh, actually, before that, school, were you good at school? No. Uh, well... <laughs> Surely you're good at the maths side. I was... I was look, I, I, I'm good at remembering some things. I... I um, I was either good or bad. Uh, I had good years and bad years. <laughs> Inconsistent. So, this, what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth, and it's hard to get your head around it. So, I was top of my primary school, so I won the Ducks Award there. I went to high school, deteriorated to the point that I failed third year and went back and did it again, and then failed fifth year, and my father refused to let me go back again. So... In between third year and fifth year, I did exceptionally well in fourth year at, Le- at high school. So that was me. So I was either turned on or turned off. So, yeah, extremes. So I, um, it's all about application, isn't it? So you, you, the old man said, that's it for school. So what did yeah, you do then? I went and got a job in the public service. So I worked in the Department of Supply as a clerical assistant for a while. Wow, that and sounds exciting, Mecca. And then I went to... Um, Telecom, right, and worked as a clerk. So yeah, no, it probably wasn't what I wanted to do. What was your day-to-day role as a clerk for Telecom? Uh, doing the pays, working out the pay for uh, linesmen and technicians. Right. Uh, um, didn't mind the stats part of it, but uh, <laughs> so that was that. When I was at the Department of Supply, my main job was to walk down the main street of Adelaide and collect the mail and bring it back and distribute it. Right. I was the slowest mail boy <laughs> I've ever had. Um, but, so, you know, it, that's the way it was. And I, had, I did that job for four or five years. So, and this is when I'm 18, about 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, I guess. So were you, as a young bloke there, like so many of us do, you're in a job that you don't want and there is a job you do want? Yep. How did you get from the job you didn't want to the job you did want? Well, my story is, um, I guess, is uniquely mine. We're all different. But so I was a keen punter. How keen? 
Very. I've always was very keen and um, dangerously keen. Yep. And then on a Monday, um, one Monday, I took a day off work, a sickie, I guess it was, from telecom and flew to the Kilmore Trots in Melbourne. Uh, to punt? Yep. Probably Kilmore Cup Day. It was a right. big day in those days. And I'm sitting next to a guy that I knew pretty well, but a guy called Kevin Hillier, not the yep. Kevin Hillier that was on radio here, or the Keith Hillier is a good friend of mine, but a guy called Kevin Hillier out of Adelaide. And he was a bloke that uh, was a keen punter but also did a bit of broadcasting and we sat on the plane and he said to me um i told him that i wanted to be a call at one stage just out of a conversation not because i was looking for anything and he said come and help me at the trials and about six months later he talked me into it but that was the first conversation was going over to kilmore trots and about six months later he talked me into it so i would go out on a sunday morning and broadcast trotting trials with him at globe derby park which is the milton of adelaide yep and then I'd go on a Wednesday night and do the same thing. And well, I did that for a little while. And then about six months later, so about 12 months after the initial conversation, he was asked to fill in at a race meeting in South Australia, a very famous one at Oak Bank over Easter. Oh, yeah. And he said, look, I've got a young fella here who's going pretty well. Why don't you give him the opportunity? I don't want the... He said he had no ambition, really, to be a broadcaster. He was way past that. He was, uh, it was just fun for him. Mm. So I um, did an audition. Um, standing out in the f- public at the Gawler Trots and passed the audition and I got this little role at the Eight Bank Races, uh, probably 1977 or 78, can never quite remember. And then um, it went from there. So for about six months in that year, it's a complicated story, but about six months in that year, I used to call one race on a Tuesday night and one on a Saturday. And then one of the broadcasters left and came to Melbourne and they offered me a full-time job. I was lucky. That's how it happened. Oh, it's amazing. That's how it happened. How many sliding doors moments. Yeah, I had a lot of sliding doors. And, and, you know, I've never had an interview for a job in my life, really. Yeah. Um, So one thing just led to another. And from that opportunity, a few other doors have opened and I got into television. So There's a couple of things you sort of glossed over there. Um, So your first trial call, looking back, how were you, do you reckon? Oh, shocking. <laughs> you know, very nervous. And, and when I say shocking... Like I mean, really nervous? Oh, very, very, <laughs> very. I remember one night at, on a Wednesday night at the trials. It was a few weeks after I'd started. Um, it was a bigger night because it was like a Jim Carner night this night. It was, for some reason, there were a lot of people there. And halfway through this trial, I lost my way completely. And you were sort of exposed to the audience. Mm. And they all turned around and I could, I could see them now. It gives me a shiver. And they all turned around and looked at me because I, I was speechless and I'd completely lost my way. So you learn those lessons. Um, you have a blank spot. And uh, so I went through that and it toughened you up in a way and hardened you up, but it's quite frightening and it takes a while to get through it. So, you know, I, I you know, it was, it was a baptism of fire, but I, um, it's a funny thing. I've always um, feared failure. But I've always had an innate confidence about myself. It's a strange thing. Um, I don't know. We've all got it. You must have it. Um, but mine's personal because it's me. And I've always, even though I've realised at times I've um, uh, messed up or anything, I've always had a bit of confidence. So, yeah, I've, I was able to work my way through all those th- times. But, yeah, it was a good learning. i tell you what was very good for me, Howie. When, those days, um, those Sunday mornings at Globe Derby Park, so the drivers of harness, they, they drove in overalls, so there were no colours. 
So all the same? Yeah, they're all the same. So I had to learn <laughs> I had to learn how to distinguish one from the other. And you do that by just the way they sit in the bike and the way they move and then the look of a horse. So it was a very good learning a very good learning experience. It's helped me no end of, you know, whether it be a 10,000 metres at the Olympics when they walk out for the first time, you don't see them and, yep. wow, how do I remember these? Or a football match where you don't have time to look at them before the game and they first time they run straight at you and there's no number on the back. Yeah. So it helps. So that was a good learning curve for me. You, you mentioned there the other thing um, that caught my ear, um, and whether you want to talk about it or not, is that you, you were getting on a plane to go interstate and taking a day off work to bet on the horses. Um, was it something eventually that you needed to extricate? You sort of did you need to extricate yourself from punting, or like were you betting the amount you could bet, or no? I was betting beyond my means. Right. Yeah. No. 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 It was a challenge for me. Right. And I, I did extricate myself from it, but it wasn't easy. It was before I was that for the passion of the sport or the horses or the punt. It was. It was a good question. I think it was just. Um, I think it's addictive. But it's a, an addiction that um, I found that I probably um, had under control from a lot of my big punting life, but for a bit of it I probably didn't quite, and I had to learn how to control it. Um, and part of it's just uh, growing up. Um, and the other bit probably is, um, and this is a funny thing in a way, but probably as you start to earn a little bit more money uh, you probably realise that you don't have to bet so heavily um, because you don't probably I don't know it, you don't need the cash tell you what happened to me the joy of winning having a good day on the punt became less than the angst of losing so I found that the emotion of losing overrode the emotion of winning, and I got to a point where I thought, well, hang on. Now, I still have a bet. Uh, not often. Uh, when I, you know, I, I bet within my means, mm. uh, and I bet regularly, but not like I used to. But when I say regularly, I, you know, I'm talking uh, not, n- not, not every day or every week even now. And so describe that feeling to me when you're walking away from the track and you've done your dough as a young bloke. When you're saying that's outweighing the positives, what's yeah. the negative feeling? Well, the negative feeling is a couple. One, can you afford the money that you've just lost? And B, the impact it might have on you as a broadcaster. Um, and, right. and, and I guess also in your normal life. You know, this is pre-being married, uh, pre-having children. But, um, but I think as a broadcaster too, I always that was more important to me to be a good caller than to be a good punter. And I didn't want to feel that I, that it would cloud my judgment or my accuracy perhaps. I, you know, I can honestly say I don't think it did, but you never know. But look, um, it, it, was, it was one of the challenges in my life, uh, but it, it's in the past and well in the past actually a lot of years ago yeah it is but I did I did I went through a stage where I was probably calling three or four meetings a week and I was investing a lot a lot of money for what I was earning and whilst it was um you know I was doing this from a analytical approach I wasn't a complete mug 
Um, but it was it was probably I'd got to a point where I really needed to pull my head in, and I was able to do it. Some people can, some people can't. If you're, you know, we know of a lot of um, cases where yeah. people have been ruined by it, or uh, or they've got on, got in got them under control and I, I was able to get under control. I still enjoy winning, but I, um, I don't like losing. Gotta love Bruce more of him in a moment. Last week I mentioned a new podcast MJ and I are putting together in conjunction with our good friends at Podcast One. It's coming soon. I was pretty sketchy on details last week. This week a name for you. It is called The Moment. The Moment. I'd love to give you a few more details. Can't this week. Hopefully next week's episode though. We might be able to play you a little teaser of what it's all about. But keep an ear and an eye out for it. It's called The Moment. Alright, with the famous Bathurst 1000 just around the corner, next week we're going racing. Although even if you don't care for motorsport at all, this is an episode that I really urge you to listen to. It features the 2010 V8 supercar champion, James Courtney. This man, he has an incredible, an incredible story to tell. It isn't what I expected at all when I sat down with James. I don't know him that well. He gets emotional at times. He is extremely honest and he reveals some very, very private issues that he's dealt with. Like it's it's so bizarre. Like now you can put me in, in a conference. Like and we, we have to do it all the time. You talk between... You know, a thousand people and you do it. And, and you're, can, you're fantastic yeah, at I can it. sit and I can talk about anything for an hour, but if yep. you give me a paragraph right. and say, read this, I'll be like, because uh, 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 I'll, you know, all those memories come up and you start to remember when you had to read in front of the class and, you're, and you'd struggle. And, yeah, so, right. yeah, that's probably uh, that's something that I've never told anyone. But uh, there you go. That's James Courtney next week on The Howie Games. Now... Just before we get back to Bruce, I recently recorded an interview with a friend's father for a birthday milestone. He's just a normal bloke, but we sat down and did pretty much a Howie Games episode with him. So his family now have his life on record for future generations to listen to. It was actually a really, really cool gift. It was just like a Howie Games episode, but with a normal bloke. So if you think you'd like to do this for a loved one and we have a chat and do an interview with them and capture their life stories, send me an email at thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's the Howie, H-O-W-I-E, the Howie Games at hotmail.com and maybe we'll see if we can work something out. Alrighty, back to Channel 7 Sports, Bruce McAvaney. Speaking to, um, and because I was in at the radio station the other day at Triple M and I was speaking to Eddie McGuire and he was asking me about the podcast and who was coming up and he said to me, oh, you should do one with Bruce McAvaney. This was uh, last Monday and I said, oh, I'm doing it Sunday. And he started rolling out stories from the Channel 10 days um, and he said two really things that really resonated me with one and you can tell us how you got to Channel 10. He said it, media is such a competitive game, so competitive, and people don't want to give up their positions because they're worried about someone coming and taking it, etc. He said to me the greatest thing about working for you was you had an innate confidence in your own ability, not a cockiness, a confidence, which you've described, and therefore you were more than happy to promote young blokes up the ladder because you weren't worried that they were going to take your job. And he said that was one of the great things working for you at 10. Well, that's Eddie, that's really kind of him. And, you know, we have had a very good relationship and continue to have one. Um, it's always lovely when you can go back as far as he and I do. Mm. And we go back to those formative years for him and me. I mean, I was older. This is Channel 10? Yeah, this is Channel 10, 1983. I started there at the end oh. of, right at the end of 83. And Eddie probably came in. He might have even been there, actually, but within whatever. But he was um, really just starting out. And I, I'd had a bit of a career in Adelaide, and I was, um, I was 30, and uh, I was, you know, 
trying to establish myself in Victoria um, on a national scale, I guess. Um, he um, was very impressive right from the start. Stephen Quartermain was the other young man that was there about yeah. a year or two later, so I was lucky to work with those two guys. But Neil Kearney there then? Yeah, no? Kearney, terrific. I mean, you learn a lot from these guys. But look, um, and Eddie... Um, you could tell straight away that he was going to be something, and yep. he is. I mean, he's extraordinary, isn't he? He is. But, yeah, he's, there's only one. And he... Um, but, look, he, I've... Um, yeah, I've always felt, Mark, that um, someone else's success um, doesn't um, detract from your own performance. Um, I can't see the relationship. So I, um, I love working with good people. I love seeing people develop. You know, where I am at the moment, I mean, these two guys are much more mature than Eddie was then, but um, Hamish McLaughlin and Basil Zemplis mm. were a couple of cases. So, yeah, look, I've, um, I guess it is that um, maybe confidence in your own ability. I've always felt that um, I had this conversation with Eddie a few times when we were starting, actually. I'd say to him, um, and he'd, we'd talk about a few things, and, you know, they might. Uh, you might lose your job even, but you don't lose your ability. Right. And you don't lose your <laughs> passion and you don't lose what drives you. So I've always f had a bit of a philosophy. No one can really impact on me. Boss or young one coming up. When I say they can't impact on me, I respect them and I res all my people I've worked for underneath at 10 or 7 um, I acquiesce to um, the philosophies of the network but there's nothing they can do to me that will take any enjoyment away from me there's no, I'm, I'm because there's always going to be a Melbourne Cup yeah <laughs> and that enjoyment's very personal. It's mine, for me. It's a strange thing. It sounds very selfish, but it's the way I've worked, and it's what it's just the way I am. I don't think it sounds selfish when you talked about you don't acquiesce. The other thing that he said, and I, I, we don't need to mention the guy's name, but he said getting ready for the '84 Olympics in LA, which I presume at that stage would have been the biggest thing in your career. You're at ten, and he said some guys came down from Sydney. Um, You'll have to tell me if I'm wrong here, but you were co-host and they sort of said, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way, this way and this way. And he said he was really impressed that you piped up and said, listen, I I'm co-hosting this. This is the way we're going to do it. Um, look, yeah, look at that. that that's the, my memory's probably clouded at times, but I've always felt how um, any discussion before you go on air should be robust. Mm. But once you're on air... You're in the same team and you always support one another and you support the producer. I've always had this um, philosophy that the producer's in charge once you're on air. Um, any disagreement or, um, you know, about a philosophy or the way you should do it should be done pre and then post maybe. But once you're on air and someone's in your ear, um, I mean, you have editorial control over yourself in a way, but you, um, you, do, you do need to... Uh, follow the script so that, so that Olympics I presume was your first Olympics 84 yeah um, that was the great Carl Lewis yep um, so you're there in the Coliseum mm, incredible 
Wow. So he won four golds then? Yeah. Look, I know that was a... Yeah, I think of it like it's yesterday. Do I you lo- really? I loved it. Uh, it was your first, you know. He, uh, yeah, he did the Jesse Owens. He, he won the four and he was a... He was probably at the height of his powers then and um, it was just a beautiful stadium. 90 degrees every day. Not a cloud in the sky. Open-air stadium with a lot of history. Uh, the Rose Bowls played there and, you know, the big gridiron match um, on January the 1st every year. And I, I just adored it. Um, and Lewis was a massive part of me as an athletics caller. And, uh, you know, he's, um, his efforts there were astounding. And then, of course, uh, he went on to build the legend. Sebastian Coe won the 1500. He became the first bloke ever to win the 1500 at two Olympics, four years apart. And... It was, a, it was a great game. So, I mean, it was boycotted, but it was still a great game. So the first one's always a bit special, isn't it? The, the thing that I love about this forum is um, hopefully people get motivated and inspired by listening to this podcast. That's the idea, but we live in a very negative world, especially in the media. Um, so to just sit here now and see you start smiling when yeah, you talk about the it. 84 Olympics, yeah, I loved it, it. It, makes, it makes me smile. So you're calling the... I, I was lucky enough to be at the Olympics with you in Athens and had a night off and sat and watched the men's 100-metre final, which blew my mind. And uh, I was sitting in front of the NBC box. And they called it, and that was the end of the race. And then Macca, they called it again. And I thought, what's happening here? And then they called it again and again. And I reckon they called it eight times. And that's when it hit me that the slick television production that is America may not be as live and as wonderful as I feel we do it. So basically what I'm saying is the, the, the 100 metres at that stage before everything had to be live was called eight or nine times till they got it right and then that went to air. That's not the case here in Australia. So you're lining up to call the men's 100 metre final at the 1984 Olympics. If, if ever I was going to get nervous, that's it because it's 10 seconds, one stumble, they've gone from 20 metres to 90 metres and you are forever on tape. Mm. as that bloke that cocked up a call. That would concern me. Um, look, it does flash through your mind, but it's you've got to get into the moment and enjoy it. I, I must uh, say, of all, of all the hundreds over those years, the one that I probably felt a bit like you're thinking was the last one with Bolt right. in Rio. Because I, um, I hadn't called... I didn't call in London um, athletics... Uh, seven didn't have them and so I'd had an eight year gap and um, hadn't really called much athletics at all and it had been on my mind for a couple of years actually every day I reckon I thought about it it's, it's quite strange isn't it weird it's um, a big build up yeah, yeah I know it's ridiculous but um, and I just I felt a bit tight about that because of the his- history involved knowing that this would be his last one but um, generally but once it started but generally it's just n- trying to know where to look and then just going with it and enjoying it and then in the end you know if it happens it happens so so you can enjoy it that yeah, 10 seconds yeah but it's look it, it is i think it's nearly the biggest the biggest challenge i think in for me as a broadcaster is the melbourne cup to call the melbourne cup was the big but i think the 100 meters is the other one because it is as you say it's nine seconds it's it's just it's there forever it you is. can't take it back no, you can't. Yeah, you get that one. And Look at your leg shaking yeah, thinking I know. about well, it now. Well, I'm excited <laughs> thinking about Tokyo and, or Commonwealth Games next year. But, um, no, no, I, I love that. I love that adrenaline rush. And, uh, you know, this is a, it's a big title, the fastest man on earth. 
or woman. Oh, of course it is. It's a big title. Um, it changes lives, and um, to be slightly involved is a heck of a thrill, to be truthful, and that never goes away. So, you know, in my Olympic broadcasting career so far, the first 100-metre final I called was Carl Lewis, and the most recent one was Usain Bolt. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of history, a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, greatness, so to speak, and you know, two two legends, and arguably the two greatest Olympians. I mean, there's a bit of a list, and they're, but they're they're on the front page, and and they're they're the bookends for what I've done so far in terms of how lucky I've been. Well, you're talking about how lucky you've been. Like it's an extraordinary thing that the front row seats to events that you've had like we could list them from you know tennis to melbourne cups to athletics to swimming to footy it must go on and on are there are there certain things that you've seen that you've come away not from a broadcasting perspective we'll get to that but from an athletic performance where you've come away because you've seen in pretty much terms the last 30 years of sport is there things that you've come away from and thought good heavens that was above and beyond yeah there's been a you know there's a Certainly Michael Johnson's world record in um, Atlanta in the 200. Yeah. Um, and Bolt in Beijing. Um, he, went, he was faster, actually, the year after in Berlin at the World Champs. But w- when he seemingly pulled up and ran 9.69 in Beijing, I mean, <laughs> it was just the manner. And then, of course, in the 200, he broke Johnson's record as well when he was all ends out. But th- those two were remarkable. Uh, Johnson in 96... I reckon, you know, in the, probably in Olympic athletics, track and field, the two most astonishing world records are Bob Beeman's long jump in 1968, where he took the world record from 27 feet to 29 feet. In Mexico. Now, oh, yeah, exactly. Well, no, I wasn't there and calling, but it was... So everything from that point on became Beeman-esque, you know, and what Johnson did in 96 was Beeman-esque. Bolt, I think, was similar in 2008. Um, it was uh, it was mind-blowing, huh. to be truthful. Um, but you, know, you, you go to Rio in 2016, and on the very first track event, um, Ayana breaks the women's 10,000-metre record, and then Van Niekerk from lane eight breaks Johnson's world record in the 400. So there are bits and pieces, but the other extraordinary... I mean, there's been a lot, actually, but... In 1991, the World Athletics Championships, you know, Lewis had broken the world record on the 100 there where he came from basically last at halfway. But in the long jump, Carl hadn't lost for about 11 years and he produced his greatest series ever and got beaten by Mike Powell and they broke Beeman's world record. Uh, Dave Colbert was part of that long jump competition <gasps> and it was just quite amazing. But I, th- I think Johnson in 96 and Bolt in 08 are probably... Oh, there's one... There's two others, actually. Go on, then. Well, there's Flojo. Yep. You know, in 1988, so the world record for the women's 200 was 21.71, I think. So in the semi-final, she ran 21.56. This is in the one day. So she runs 21.56 and breaks the world record clearly and looked to be going half pace. And then an hour and a half later, she comes out and runs 21.34. So she takes the world record from 21.71 to 21.56 to 21.34 in the one day. And then, of course, Johnson and Lewis uh, in Rome in 87, where Johnson takes the world record from 9.93 to 9.83. 
um, and then of course the year after in Seoul where he runs 9.79 and then of course um, it all hit the fan and everything mm. changed after that um, so they're, they're the the drop dead things um, yeah the, there's, there's a lot of them Howie I'll, this podcast is not long enough oh mate we've got time we've got time listen the the, the, the um, and you'll be embarrassed by me saying this and I don't even know if it's something you like to be known for but the genius of you is your recall you, you've just run me through Florence Griffith Joiner's times from 20 odd years ago to the 1 100th of a second um, do you think you have a um, do you think you have a better memory than the average cat on the street or not, not not really right no only for certain little things that I'm interested in no I think the certain I think the cat on the street's just as good as me right but I'm the not cat, sure he, the cat, on that the cat on the street um, it's got a memory for other things. Yeah, okay. So okay. I, I think we yeah, I, um, I don't think I'm, um, yeah, I don't think, I, I've got a good memory when I can concentrate on things, yeah. But, yeah, I think a lot of people have. Kathy Freeman, who has led the first episode of Series 2 of the Howie Games, I sat down with her a while ago, Macca, and I've been blown away by the reception that people have given Kathy, being Kathy, that's probably will again I don't know whether you enjoy it or not one year an amazing call but probably the biggest moment in my time in Australia when Freeman won and you were there with Raylene Boyle and uh, a legend and a champion and a relief pretty cool to get to call things like that like the home Olympics yeah. well, a Still, privilege. Yeah, a privilege. That's yeah, a perfect was, word, no, Macca. It, it was a privilege. Um, yeah, look, uh, just on Cathy for a start, um, and you you know her. Um, she's such a unaffected, um, gifted, inspiring, beautiful person. Um, un- unaffected is the word yeah. I used in the intro. Well, because that's what she is. <laughs> she's just a... And she did climb a mountain, as you just alluded to, you know, this incredible moment, right person, right time, home games. It was all for her, wasn't it? And yet her whole legacy, the thing with, I mean, Kathy, the person who we touched on this then, that unaffected way about her, just so modest and unassuming, but a beautiful girl. Um, but here, here's a woman that's been twice the world champion basically unbeaten for almost four years leading into Sydney. Mm. Lost uh, one race in 1998 because she was injured. Perec had been beaten off, basically. Um, gets to Sydney, wins a world championship in 97, 99. Got it all, but her whole legacy comes down to, a, you know, 49 seconds. <laughs> um, because if she doesn't win in Sydney, everything's different. So... Everything she's done is worthless at that moment. So she carries a nation on her back. So, you know, those moments are rare. They don't happen often. Um, Federer gets four chances a year. Yeah. Um, and so does Justin Spieth. Um, Kathy gets really one chance every four years. It's different. Um, and that's and that was her moment. And, um, yeah, no, it was... a. I got nervous that night. Did and you? That, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a 
incredible day and night. It's funny because it was well into the Olympics, as you know, on a Monday, and I remember we used to do a lot of interviews every morning, and I remember that morning having a dry mouth, talking about it, thinking about it, and then I got to the track, and it had been an amazing night. Everyone that went to that night always reflects on that Cathy's was the moment in a night of moments. It was. And it was just exceptional stuff. Um, and I'd be, I was fully warmed up by the time they came out, but the minute they came out and took off their tracksuits, suddenly I tightened and felt dry in the mouth and I really had to just just say to myself, enjoy it, you know what you're doing. And that's the only time I reckon I've ever done that in my broadcasting life. Um, almost pause and uh, really take stock. And then it all unfolds, but it was a privilege. I mean, to be a broadcaster in your own country um, you know, and to see this moment where everything almost about the Sydney Olympics reflected around that minute. I mean, the games, as great as they were, wouldn't have been that as great if Freeman didn't win. No. So, you know, what a responsibility. I mean, think of all the things that happened, you know, the beach volleyball, the women's water polo, Ian Thorpe, Susie O'Neill, the equestrian riders. I mean, all those incredible things that happened the long, long list, and just the joy we got out of hosting the games, and yet this was the moment above all. And I don't—I say that with respect to everybody else. It's the big stadium. It was the one thing we'd craved for for four years, and it happened. And uh, you know, she delivered. And did you know it? No. Not that I. Th- no, I didn't nail it. I, I, I did as well as I could. I did my best. What weren't you happy with? Um, I wish I'd got... I wish I'd said, what a champion, what a legend. Not, what a legend, what a champion. Because of the order of the pantheon, for want of a better term. That's it. And... (laughs) Jeez, you harsh judge, Macca. (laughs) Well... Well, that's why you are who you are. No, but um, um, I did my best. I thought the best line out of it all was, what a relief. And that was boiling. And then talking to Cathy, and that's the thing that amazed me um, about it, was she said to me the other day that she hadn't really talked about it, but her bending over, looking at the clock, in that moment was disappointment because she hadn't run a time. No. Which is a perfect example of how much a perfectionist she is and obviously what you've just told me how you are. So just to get into that, which is, I reckon, the essence of probably why you're so good at what you do. Is that a fleeting thing for you after it, when you've thought, I would have got that the other way around, or is that something that's sat with you for a while and you've played it over in your head? I don't still mean now, I mean at the time. Um, it's interesting, because I, I very rarely listen to anything back, but I, with the Freeman race, I was forced to listen to it back. You could not. <laughs> because I... I did something for Channel 7 uh, before the um, uh, Rio Games where I reenacted it right. in a live situation. I, I heard the race a number of times um, and it reminded me. And look, um, it's not something that bothers me, to be honest. I mean, but you asked me, yeah. was it a, you know, did I nail it? Yeah. And would you take anything back? It doesn't bother me because I quite like the challenge of trying to be better, you know. But so it's not something I've worried about too much. But it's something I've acknowledged for myself. And, huh. and with, with Freeman was interesting because I've had this discussion with her about the time. 
It was a fast race. I mean, she ran 48.64 years earlier um, when she ran second to Perec, and she ran 49.1 in Sydney. But she wasn't quite the same athlete in Sydney. Uh, she'd had injuries. Mm. She was more mature, uh, less athletic in a sense, just as great a competitor, but probably not at the height of her powers. Probably at the height of her powers was around that 96, 97 uh, period. But, and she also um, went through a, f- a lot of changes between 96 and 2000. It was a fast race. 49 one's a fast race. Mm. Um, but, she, yeah, she's... That's a perfectionist in her. Um, and uh, I understand where she's coming from. Last week's episode of the Howie Games featured Chris Judd, an episode that covered what it takes to be an elite athlete, footy, the share market, and Chris's wife, Rebecca. I just remember dominating this Scrabble game at the start and just it was almost an unattainable lead. I was up by 80 points or whatever and I started to have pity on this this poor model who was clearly just couldn't match my Your weighty, weighty intellect. Right. Um, and then I thought, I'm just going to take it easy. I just started putting out a couple of three-letter words just to, so I wouldn't embarrass her. And with that, she had a bit of a run with the letters and a couple of Qs and Zs later and, and she's... Uh, and she's hit the lead. Oh no! And uh, and so yeah, like Beth, yeah, she's a she's a serious operator, Beck. So I think there are a couple of early things that um, yeah, maybe realised we we're dealing with someone who's a little bit had a little bit more depth than just uh, just her beauty. Okay, back to Bruce. From a philosophical perspective, I think there's two ways that it's been explained to me about commentary. Um, it's something I wrestle with all the time. Do you just call what you're seeing and let the event speak for itself or do you inject yourself into the event to provide further entertainment? Um, what, a, what an interesting question. Because um, I've never thought about it in those terms, but it's such a basic question and a good one. Um, I can only talk for me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, accuracy is really important, I think. You know, I, I, well, it is. It's, it goes without saying. But I, I think the colour's good too. You've got, you've, got to, you've got to get it into some context, I reckon. So when, when you see something, you've got to put some context around it. So it, a moment can be great for you if you know what it's about but for someone who's just watching and doesn't know it about it, it needs to be filled in a bit mm. so I think it's a combination of things Mark I think it's a combination of being descriptive and true to what you're seeing but also being able to put it into some maybe historical context or uh, newsworthy context certainly I mean if Patrick Dangerfield <laughs> slings Matthew Cruiser then mm. you know you know there's something else going on. Ramifications. Yeah, so, so you must add that. Now, some broadcasters um, do it differently to others, um, and that's great, uh, and that's because that's what, what it's all about. So, um, yeah, I think it's a combination of what you've said. I, I, I think um, it's inevitable that your own personality becomes part of the fabric of your call. You can't help it. That's just the way it is. And that's why people can like or dislike. And um, it's probably the part of me where I don't... I never really listen to anything I've done. 
I haven't for a lot of years. I'll, if I know my, a call of mine on the footy is going to come up, I'll switch it down. Do you? I don't want to hear it. Um, now, that's... Why? Um, why? Because I mightn't like it. What wouldn't you like about it? I'm not sure because I haven't heard it for a long time. Right. But I just don't need it anymore. I don't need to hear it anymore. Now, that sounds a bit strange. And this is the truth. Uh, I wouldn't have heard anything that I've called in a long, long time unless it's been unavoidable. Now, that's probably unprofessional because I should be listening Mm. to pick up the mistakes that I'm making. Mm. But I've probably... I might be in denial a bit, um, but um, so. But the bit when I, the bit I didn't like about me was my personality in the call as much as the. I like the accuracy if it's accurate, but I don't like. Sometimes I didn't like the personality, and that and that was um, that was something I probably wasn't happy with. Anyway, I haven't made a lot of sense with that. No, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I reckon once you've... Um, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because once you have become as wonderful as you are and has become part of Australian sport, like, I don't say this lightly, like Richie Benno was the cricket. You, you're the footy oh, and the athletics and the swimming and the horse racing. Surely it gets to a point, I'm listening at home, I, I want to hear what you think and what you feel as well rather than just a description. I, th- I presume that's an earned right, Macca, but me sitting at home listening, I want to hear what you think. And Yeah, and I, look, I... Probably going back to what I was talking about, not listening a moment ago, I try to approach every call as with no baggage. So you start fresh and just... and give it what you've got. So... Um, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, certainly I'll use the Friday night analogy. I'll come back if I'm at this hotel um, on a Friday night and generally think of all the things I said and wish I hadn't and then all <laughs> the things I didn't say and wish I had. It's just the way you are, um, so you're quite critical of yourself. But um, no, I, going back to the original question, I think in the end you it's a combination of calling what you're seeing but injecting your own perspective of it and your own critique as you go along because that's what makes good callers uh, it's Bill Collins okay you know I won't yell out because there's people around but you know um, Kingston Town can't win he was right but what Bill would do he'd say you know um, they're often how he's a length and a half in front of um, of Stein and a length and a half um, I'll take out the Channel 10 blokes because I, I better put Louis Martin in there. But he'll say, and Martin's travelling well. Um, he, he'd read the race. He wouldn't just call the 12 horses. He would pick out the favourite or three or four horses and tell you either they're having the right run or the wrong run. He would read a race so that you didn't even have to see it. Right. You could see it in your mind. So the best callers are those that not just call it, they give it a context about the winning chances and 
in a horse race now in a football match which is a little bit different uh, it's uh, but it's the same principle so yeah I I um, I think that uh, you've got to be more than just descriptive you've got to you've got to add that extra bit how, how do you escape all this Macca um, the um chatting with you it's like you're almost consumed by it what a wonderful thing to be consumed by um you're talking about josh earlier on joshy car was having a chat with him and he was telling me that you know you, just, you love your family you love your dog um <laughs> yeah. you love reading he said you'd smile as soon as i mentioned your dog how do you escape the madness that is your job for a normal existence because you said you're a normal bloke but you've got an abnormal job um the things you just mentioned are the things that are the most important in my life, but my job's right in there with it. Um, I'm the person I am because of my job and my parents and my family, but um, so I, I'm driven by work. I'm driven. Uh, and it's not because I want to be famous or rich or anything. That doesn't interest me. Um, what interests me is to fulfil my potential. Um, that's what drives me. It's still driving me now. But um, the, every morning of our lives, Howie, for a few years now, at about 8 o'clock, Anne and I walk out the front with Frankie, our dog, onto the beach and go for a 2K walk, talk to a lot of people, throw a ball, have fun, stop, have a cup of coffee and a toasted sandwich at this little kiosk that hangs <laughs> over, talk to a lot of people and then walk back 2Ks. And honestly, I love it. I just love it. It's normality. It might be, gee, what did you think of the footy last night? Or it might be, gee, housing prices have gone up lately. Or yeah. It's, it's normal and it's refreshing. I love film. I love books. Um, yeah. I love nothing better than sitting down and watching something, um, a series at home but so yeah no, normality what's, but I, what's the last series you watched uh, at the moment we, we, at the moment we watch it well House of Cards the last yeah. House of Cards which I yeah, love amazing what, yeah yeah. I mean God Kevin Spacey Robin Wright I mean what a what a actually I feel like we're living it at the moment well, with, with, with the big fella true, the big it? fella in the White House but um, yeah no so yeah and Scandinavian crime stuff and all that but yeah look um Normality, I guess. So, what are you that, reading at the moment? Um, I'm three quarters of the way through a book uh, which is set in uh, it's a crime crimeish book set in uh, London in uh, World War Two. But I'm I like crime, right? Not for action, but for characters. And um, so, yeah, I've always got a book going. Um, and the movies? What would have been the... Uh, the last one was Dunkirk. Is it good? I thought it was incredible. Oh. I mean, Christopher Nolan's a great director, I think, but you should go and see it, Howie. It was one of those movies that, um, you know, when you're watching a film in the, in the big theatre, sometimes your mind can drift and think about work or think about walking that dog, but the moment it started until the moment in, I, was, I felt like I was inside the movie, not outside watching. I felt I was part of it. Right. It's, um, it's quite claustrophobic, consuming, but it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Really? Oh, that's yeah. a good recommendation. Five stars from Bruce McAvaney. I've got a couple more questions for you, and that's it, Mackie. You've been great with your time. You've got to get to the footy. Um, this won't be an easy one. You, you've worked with... I think it's acknowledged that Australia has some of the best commentators going around. Um, if there was, you know... If McAvaney 
was doing something amazing in the sporting sense, who would you want to call it? With? No, you're doing something amazing on a sporting field, whether you're a jockey or running or swimming. Oh, who would I like to call it? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, it would depend a bit on the sport, wouldn't yeah, it? I knew but, you'd but, say but, that. But, but, you know, if I was... If I was 84 not out, Alan McGilvery would be pretty handy <laughs> with Lindsay Hassett. That's how far I go back. Right. Uh, yeah, Tim Lane would do too, by the way, or a few others. Um, if I was uh, in the forward pocket, the MCG, and um, trying to um, get away from um, Matthew Scarlett and Den- Dennis would do. Yep. But if I was... Uh, if you're on the 100 metre final track? Yeah, Bill Collins would be pretty good. Um so horses for courses, Howie. But look, we do have some incredible callers. Um, and so I haven't completely answered the question, but uh, yeah, I've been mean, over the years, um, I've worked with some of them and I've listened to many of them. And um, I reckon, uh, okay, I'll say Dennis, because I, I reckon he could cover it all. Yeah. He could, if I was swimming, running, Playing cricket or playing footy, I think, I think Dennis Comedia would do me. Wrestling as well. It could cover you if you were wrestling as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs> and that little sly remark of his and... Yeah. Yeah, no, he'll do me. You've... Um, he'll do me. You've, list, you've lived a... What's the best way to describe it? You've lived a blessed life, haven't you? Like, just going through over the last hour what you've been mm. able to do to turn up to work and see, and as I said, got a paycheck at the end of it, for a bloke that was a clerk at Telecom, it's turned out OK. No, I'm the luckiest person I know. But um, it doesn't mean that um, you don't appreciate it. Mm. You know, it's, it's, but also, Howie, I'm just as anxious about the next 10 years working as I was about the last 10 and that makes it even more rewarding in a way because it's not easy um, so I like the challenge of it sometimes it can nearly break you but it also helps to make you so look I believe um, I've always I have been very fortunate I've been lucky to be able to express myself publicly um, for a long time uh, in some incredible stadiums where a lot of people have felt happy, hmm. uh, not because of my call, but from what they've been able to see. And uh, I've been a little part of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate and I'm absolutely aware of it. And um, I, my life could have gone one of two ways, I reckon. If I'd stayed in the public service, I'd be unfulfilled. I'd be probably a heavy gambler and a heavy drinker and frustrated. Um, I'd still have an innate happiness about me because I've always had it. It's what I was born with. But I'd be unfulfilled. Um, So, how lucky am I, eh? Yeah, my word, I'm glad you got on that plane. There was something that was in the media recently um, that you were crook. And it was a confronting headline. Um, I'm sure it wasn't a story you wanted to come out. I don't want to delve into it, but you're going all right? I'm going well. Look, I'll, I, the absolute honesty, about two and a half, in December 
2009. I don't want to talk to these be fits. I'll be quick. No, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, late December, uh, late when you, uh, 2015 it was, I think, I got a, a blood test that was um, not normal. My uh, white cells were a bit out of control. So I've got a thing called CLL, which is a form of leukaemia, which um, at the time was... Uh, you know, you take it in your stride. It's quite interesting, Howie, because, you know, you think, OK. But it's... I've had n- no treatment. I have continual blood tests. I'm feeling a little more tired than normal, but I'm getting older. Mm. Um, and that was part of the reason I didn't do the tennis. But um, I didn't want it to be public. Uh, I told very few people. I had about two years before I told... But I, it, it came out. So I wanted it... Once it came out, I wanted it to be a factual story. Um but I'm going well. Um, who knows what's in front of me, you know, or the future for any of us. But I'm not under any um, illusions that, uh, um, you know, in 10 years' time, five years' time, six months' time, who knows, I might get a bad report, but at the moment I'm completely optimistic and I'm feeling like um, I will be having, you know, good health for a long, long time. So I never think about it. Um, except when I drive in every six months to have a blood test. But um, other than What's that... What's that like? Um, not as nerve-wracking as right. you might think it would be. Um, so, no, I've, it's... You cope. You take things in your stride. I've had a lot of people that have been very, very um, thoughtful and it's been lovely and uh, I appreciate it. But I'm going well. I'm going really well. Great. Uh, we always finish this podcast. I've just got to grab my phone over here. Um, I have two children, seven and five, my kids. Um, the five-year-old, the big penguin, that's what he named himself for whatever reason, and the seven-year-old operates as the pickle. She's my daughter. And I always ask them, normally the day of, uh, who I'm going to go and have a chat with. Um, which is great for them. Uh, Skyzy was asking Kathy Freeman advice on a running race. She's giving my seven-year-old advice on a cross-country. They don't appreciate how good it is. Um, and whichever one connects most to that person, I record a question and, and uh, put it to the guest. Now, I wasn't home last night, and we did this pretty early, so I didn't actually get to... I've got her question, but it is completely from her, and... Uh, I wasn't going to play it because I was a little bit embarrassed, but I'm going to play it to you anyway. So this is your daughter? This is my daughter, uh, what, Sky. What's her, what's her real her name? Her name is Sky. And what's her nickname? Pickle. Pickle, OK. And the five-year-old is Mac, but he is the big penguin. Yeah, he's the big penguin. He named himself that. So this is... She was the one that was most enthused by your story, um, and she listens to the footy, so she knows you've been calling from the footy. So this is the question uh, from the pickle that was recorded this morning and I only heard this morning. Um, because my beautiful partner sent it to me. All right, Macca, here we go. Hopefully you can hear it in here. Hi, Macca, Pickle here. My dad thinks you're the best commentator in the world. Are you really better than my daddy? Well, <laughs> Pickle. As I said, I was slightly... What a, what a beautiful question. Um, and your dad's... Um, isn't he lovely to think that of me? Um, uh, but he's not a very good judge when it comes to those <laughs> things. Uh, well... Your father, your dad, is a much better Big Bash caller than I'll ever be. <laughs> and you know what? He's probably a better interviewer. And I think that if he keeps working hard, as he is, then in about 10 years' time he'll go way past me. And you know what? 
that'll give me a lot of pleasure. Uh, you're a good man, Macker. I feel like you're commentating in the AFL and I'm commentating in the, in the VFL twos. But, hey, mate, um, I was really looking forward to having this chat with you and often sometimes when you really look forward to something it lets you down a bit but this is um it's been one of my favorite chats just to have a sit with you and a chat with you and you said at the start you know is it formal what type of mood should i be approaching and i was like well it's just like two people having a chat over a beer i think we've achieved that which i really really appreciate mate no for sure harry no i've loved it and uh, no no you, we go back a bit don't we so we do um no Mark, it's been a pleasure, actually. And what it does sometimes, we don't get a chance to reflect often. No, we don't. Even those walks on the beach, I'm thinking about other things. <laughs> so um, it's nice to reflect and try and put things into some sort of context. And um, we're always in a rush. We're always in a rush. And potties don't do rush. No, they don't. So that's nice. So I've got to say, Pickle... That was one of the highlights of the last hour. I've enjoyed this interview, <laughs> but I, that was just the icing on the cake. Thank you for that. Good on you, Macca. Cheers. Thanks to the great, the great Bruce McAvaney and the wonderful people at Seven Sport for making Bruce available and for letting us using some of the audio for some of those clips in the podcast. That's one and a half hours I will absolutely cherish. Hope you got something from it too. MJ is back from the Singapore Grand Prix, gave him one job to secure a Howie Games episode with Lewis Hamilton. He came back empty-handed. One job, MJ. Looks like that one's up to me. All right, until next Thursday, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.